Let's cut through the mainstream financial advice out there. This is your quick financial tip from your rich uncle. Let's switch over to some taxes stuff. And I had some questions here that I get asked a lot. And I always feel bad taking your guys' Tax Tuesday videos and regurgitating it back to them. Appreciate Clint answering these for me because they are the same old questions over and over again. The first one I normally get is this grouping election, right? Investor invests in a syndication deal where they're a passive investor and they get their gains and losses on this K-1 form. And especially if there's a cost segregation involved, there's a huge amount of losses created, often like at least half of what they invest. And then so the investor goes back to their CPA who looks up from their glasses and says, you can't use those losses to offset the gains on other rental properties or other syndication deals. Maybe talk a little bit, what's the logical leap there and how should people handle that one? I'm not sure. As long as they're passive losses and you have passive income, those net out. And so that's the way that should be playing out. And there's always going to be nuances. If people are going back to their CPA with passive losses and they're trying to take those passive losses against ordinary income or non-passive income, then you're going to struggle unless you're a real estate professional. You're not going to be able to do that. So the losses that you pull out of a syndication, those can be grouped against similar types of income, but they can't be used to set up non-similar types uh, of income. Right. Similar types meaning passive income. Got to be passive. So from other rental properties or other syndicated deals? All passive. That's correct. Okay. So let's talk about, then that kind of leads into the next question. You can't use the passive losses to offset ordinary income, such as from your 1099s, your day job, unless maybe go into rep status, what that allows them to Yeah, so unless more. you become a real estate professional, which means that you're spending 50% of your time, so you don't hold a full-time job in a non-real estate related activity, and you spend 750 hours on real estate related activities. And so with reps, to meet that test, it doesn't have to be with your own rentals. You just have to be doing stuff in real estate. So you could be a broker, you could be a contractor, you could be someone that's involved in that, an appraiser, and you're gonna meet the first prong of the reps if that's what you do for your living. But then the second prong of that test is you have to materially participate in your rental real estate business activity. Or your Even portfolio it, there. Portfolio. The properties you own, correct. And so that's either, there, there's seven tests, but the two that we look at the most is gonna be the 500 hour test. You spend 500 hours on your real estate, plus you met the 750 and half of your time on other real estate activity, you're good. Or you have to spend a hundred hours and that hundred hours is more than anyone else that works on your properties. And so where I find that people struggle with the reps test is that they have out-of-state PMs, so they're not involved with their own real estate, and they try to use education, looking at balance sheets, and qualify. And there hasn't been a case yet that I'm aware of where that's ever happened. Now, that could probably qualify for that first 750 hours that not involved in their portfolio, one might use that because that seven that 750 hours outside of their active portfolio is a little looser. In it's going to be tough because 
you got 50% of the time. So if you're a physician, you ain't making it. You already, you miss out on that prong. So what I typically tell people is that if you want to make sure you're going to qualify, self-manage your real estate. Now you don't have to self-manage all of it, just self-manage enough where you get the hours and you're good to go. Or if you're not, if you don't have the time and you can't meet 750, 50% of your time, just do short-term rentals for a bit. Buy a property, turn it into a short-term rental, spend a hundred hours on that property. You don't have to worry about 750 hours, 50% of your time. You just do that. And your average rental period is seven days or less. Cost seg that thing, harvest a ton of tax deductions, turn it into a long-term rental next year. And you're gold. You can take that money now and you can offset those losses against all your income that are generated from that short-term rental activity. And so what I find is with many of our physician clients that are not yet just putting all, they're diversifying, they have their syndication interests, they have their equities and they're doing some single families on the side. We're taking those and we're saying those need to be short-term rentals for the first year. Focus on that so we can harvest the losses. We had one guy who sold a, his interest in a, a clinic, hit a big windfall and poured all that investment into a property in Texas and turned that into a short-term rental. His wife was the one that qualified. He still was busy. Wife qualified with 100 hours and it freed up for him, I'm gonna say it was $670,000 in deductions. So it can be huge if you look at it from that perspective. Lane is not a lawyer, CPA, but the dude did quit his engineering job and now owns thousands of rental properties. Learn more about the secrets of the wealthy. Join our community at thewealthelevator.com slash club. And if you're looking for a longer form podcast, also subscribe to the Wealth Elevator podcast.